Uh, well, listeners, uh, I don't know how to really start this other than um, less than, well, at this point, more than 24 hours ago, news that's all too familiar to most Americans happened once again. There was another school shooting this time. Uh, I believe it was 50 miles away from San Antonio, Texas. Took place at Robb Elementary School in uh, Uvalde, Texas. What can you do when you type in school shooting and it's like, you know, the pages, the Wikipedia page is already, you know, is updated. And I think it is very eerie that the, that the victim counts are very similar. It, it is such an instant reminder of Sandy Hook and of course other school shootings, especially in Texas. So I think the, the most agonizing thing of this, you know, I, I was reading off of an article with the headline of it's almost like an instant replay, Newtown parents grapple with another school shooting. And, and this was something I noticed a lot yesterday when, and to kind of briefly break down uh, at least what is known, I'm not going to get into the, forensic details of how you know the guy the 18 year old mm-hmm. individual who well i am breaking it down breaking down the forensic aspect but i guess there were multiple armed guards that this guy somehow got past and it resulted in the deaths of 19 school children i've heard mixed reports as to how what grades they were all in but from what it sounded like they were all in the same classroom um as well as two adults including a teacher it's yeah, it's it's a hell of a lot like Sandy Hook uh, when it comes to the casualties and, and just the situation itself. I, I don't know. I, I, it's. It's devastating. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I apologize for cutting you off, but I think just the hesitation speaks to you again. How do you approach this topic? Uh, I mean, well, I'm sorry what uh, you were saying. Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, no, I mean, it, it's it's devastating just because. And, and obviously, there's so many there's so many other things I know I can say about this, but in this moment, I, the most I can say is the fact that it's so devastating when, with all the powers that we have at our disposal to make sure things like this don't happen, it still happens. Um, the thing that always breaks me, and and this is something that's grown to be, I know I've I brought it up with you not that long ago. Um, by the end of this year, it'll be ten years since Sandy Hook. And I have seen not one iota of change since other than I now know more and more people all across my life, all all throughout the years of my life who have had some vague connection to mass shootings all across the country. Namely, I mean, more so the West Coast. I mean, hell, the, the borderline shooting. I mean, I had fraternity brothers and even my own sister had been there prior to the shooting i had a co-worker who was at las vegas when the shooting happened there and we were all just mortified she's she was fine i mean she like scraped her legs but otherwise she was totally fine and then with the shooting at saugus high school the man who essentially introduced me to the concept of journalism as a career was teaching there when that school shooting happened so and then on top of that, you were talking to me earlier, and please elaborate. Um, you were talking to me earlier about the fact that you were on the Amtrak going going to and from New York not that long after there was an incident there. 
yeah uh yeah and uh you know speaking of gun violence of all types it's just a uh, I was in New York City and well of course uh, there was a shooting a couple of weeks ago on a crowded subway and uh, one of the lines that I was on on Sunday morning I and I know they caught the guy but I have to say I don't know all the details but a guy was uh, walking around a subway car and just uh, unsolicited uh, shot and killed an older Mexican man that was riding and by all accounts the guy seemed like you know just perfectly normal nice family man and minding his own business and just shot and killed for no reason. And uh, that's on a New York subway. Of course, you know, gun violence is literally in every single piece of our society. It's uh, it's like hearing the politicians talk about, oh, like I shouldn't have to worry about sending my kids to school and never seeing them again. Or if you really want to drive the point home, how people are tweeting that family members have to do DNA swabs because the, uh, the remains of the children are basically unrecognizable because they were shot with an assault rifle. It's, it's horrific stuff, but it's just like, um, what's going to bring it home for people? Um, you know, I, I don't think I would ever even be one to, as frustrating as it is, you know, stand up and shout, like, let's do something or, you know, give, uh, pay, you know, uh, donate to politicians. I know uh, we were talking offline about Beto O'Rourke confronting mm-hmm. Governor Abbott and, uh, you know, I think I had suggested that it was felt like a stunt. And I think but I think it was you who said that, you know, it's kind of a necessary stunt. And, um, you know, I guess it's weird that I say that when Beto got shouted down by one of the guys on stage, I guess the mayor of Uvalde saying, yes, it's political. And it's just like, um, what's it going to take? Like Beto is, you know, no one out who else is like standing up and interrupting the press conference. You know what's going to happen? The NRA conference in Houston. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the mayor, the mayor of Uvalde, who, um, when Beto was shouting, because I should note you had Greg Abbott, the governor. You had a couple other, I want to say the attorney general was there, a couple figures that uh, people probably recognize and, and considered, at one point in time, considered heroes because they stood up to... Donald Trump and his supporters when they were basically trying to get various states to, you know, find more ballots for him so he could win the 2020 election. <sighs> um, but then you also had Ted Cruz in the background who had to, had this smug smile on his face. Um, and then the mayor of Uvalde, Don McLaughlin, said to Beto, and I quote, and I, you know, I'm, I'm neither one way or another with Beto O'Rourke. Personally, I... <laughs> we brought we were talking about it in the chat like it's it looks like a stunt but somebody had to do it um Mm -hmm. but he was said he was told by the mayor i can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch who would come to a deal like this to make a political issue it's on assholes like you why don't you get out of here we have uh, sports figures talking about it i've never seen so much coverage of a mass shooting on espn I think the the fact that it is kids does hit especially hard, but you know I want to say that it feels like we are riding some momentum that I haven't felt before in terms of just seeing certain people speak out who would never speak out, seeing different media cover it. Um, but again, like I don't know, uh, I, I've been thinking about this because I I've got the sense that you know I feel like uh, seeing the polls of like most Americans want gun uh, gun control. Uh, 
I don't know what to compare this to because I was thinking like, well, our society was able to somewhat change and do a 180 on uh, same-sex marriage. And that went from us, you know, being really inappropriate about the issue in like middle school and elementary school and just Mm -hmm. being dumb school children, you know, using bad words and things like that. And 15, 20 years later, we have a Kendrick Lamar song talking about, you know, accepting a trans family relative and the conversation around same-sex marriage uh, is completely different. And I wonder, it's a weird comparison to make, I know, but I wonder if like, is this finally a shift? Like these things are generational, like uh, that's one big generational change that I can remember seeing from start to finish, basically. We still have a long way to go there, but um, I feel like there might be something shifting here and I got, I'm getting kind of the same feeling, but again, this is a a, a very deadly issue that uh, Mm -hmm. as we're talking about it, you know, people are still dying, so. Uh, I, I have a glimmer of hope, but it's barely there. I, I definitely had, I definitely had hope after Sandy Hook. I mean, I, you know, it was a week before I turned eighteen. I was still senior in high school. I, I can't forget that day for as long as I live. I, you know, I, I was in, I was in my, um, I was in my photography class um, with one of the best teachers I had in all the time I was in high school and you know it was like slowly but surely like we were allowed to use our iPods and iPhones to listen to music while Mm -hmm. we were doing stuff doing you know Photoshop using Photoshop and uploading photos and whatnot but I obviously being being who I am had a gajillion news apps uh, a gajillion news apps on my phone. So I was getting news notifications as the developments with regards to what happened at Sandy Hook buzzing on my phone. And slowly word got around in the classroom that something was going on with an elementary school on the East Coast. And the one thing I don't remember is whether or not we were talking about it or if we turned on the TV. I, I want to say we did, but. You know, I remember I had open period that day. I came home. Christmas tree was up. Um, we still had our dog at the time. And I think my mom went out and, and she was either getting groceries or picking up my sister, or one of the two. And just thinking, you know, up until that point, we had Aurora. I know there had been a couple other mass shootings that I've, you know, regrettably, I've forgotten. And the only reason I've forgotten is because there's been so many more in the last 10 years you know there's been something close to like 4,000 mass shootings in america since all 20 all those 20 kids were slaughtered in their classrooms at sandy hook and you know it's i you know of course i remember obama crying in front of the nation and saying he was going to pass gun control measures which you know never passed they never materialized fast forward to uh, the saga shooting and what's the president, a different president, what's he doing, um, bragging about how he's going to defend gun rights while the bodies of two children in my neck of the woods are still warm. And yeah. fast forward to yesterday and we basically listened to a 10 minute long version of Come On Man. Despite the fact that it's like you're your president, you've got 
you, you hold immense power. Like, you, there's a lot more you could do. Um, and I'm not going to try and make this a big political thing because the difference now, I think, it's been a long time since I've thought to myself, I have no hope. But yesterday pretty much cemented that I have 100% no hope that anything's going to change. And with Sandy Hook and with a lot of other mass shootings, it's tragedy, it's devastation, it's heartbreak. Outpouring yesterday was nothing but pure, unfiltered rage on social media. Like, people finally just snapped and, and you know, pulled a, pulled a network and said, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. The sad thing is that it, it, it doesn't mean anything. The whole discussion about, oh, well, we need to stand up to the gun lobby. The NRA is a shell of its former self. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's not so much that you got to fight the gun lobby. It's more like you need to fight the political body that has embraced the gun lobby and essentially taken over for the gun lobby. And you can't do that when you've got an uncompromising aspect of minority control with one of our parties. Everybody, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to believe, I of all people, I'm never going to tell anybody to not be angry. But, and I'm not trying to say, I absolutely don't want to say you're wrong or I don't want to say I don't believe you, but I've, I've just ran out of hope on this issue over the last 10 years. And I mean, you know, the, the whole the whole discourse on mental health. Apparently this shooter didn't have a, a mental health background or, or any kind of criminal history. So where does mental health fit into the equation? Other than being a false flag. Yeah, and even that word is already kind of like, you know, in conservative circles, gosh, it's a, I don't know if it's a, oh, I hate to say like a dog whistle or what, but yeah, it's just like, mm-hmm. you make a really good point with um, the NRA and the gun lobby. Uh, there is going to be a lot of attention appropriately directed at the NRA and for their conference. Talk about the worst optics of all time, but also I would say that there's oh. probably going to be a pretty good chance that any city in America they would have chosen to have it had either had a mass shooting, has had gun violence, like it's impossible to escape. But you, you make that's a really good point that, yeah, the NRA could disappear tomorrow and uh, these politicians would be business as usual. Um, I would love to really dive into the subject because, you know, who else? Like I, I've seen the popular Twitter thread of like Republicans who have made comments, uh, thoughts and prayers comments, uh, somebody's been retweeting all of them with NRA donations. And like even Mitt Romney had like eight figure donation numbers with the NRA. So um, yeah, the NRA still plays a big role, but it's definitely, um, yeah, not not the end all be all here. And uh, the mental health issue is really good because I think I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but was it always a talking point of conservatives to say like, no, it's mental health instead of guns, because I'm guilty of saying, oh, mental health issues, you know, for uh, crime factors and things like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, now that I see conservatives using it, and again, want to be as partisan as possible in this discussion, um, or I'm sorry, nonpartisan. <laughs> but again, I'm just like, I didn't realize that was uh, a talking point of the right. Uh, you know, I 
don't want to identify myself necessarily, but you know, it's something that I fell into saying for some of these instances, like, well, we had mental health services and going back to Sandy Hook, um, and I don't even want to name the shooter, but he definitely had mental health issues. I was actually, I went down a Wikipedia spiral of mass shooters today. What a horribly fascinating deep dive of Wikipedia and you read about these shootings, but yeah, um, not all of them had mental illness. It mm-hmm. is, an, is a crutch um, to say, and yeah, it's it's really about guns. But even then, too, you there's a gosh, it's it's something that you know it's impossible to be an expert on. It's somehow less um, black and white than other issues like same-sex marriage, abortion. Uh, it seems to be maybe the most divisive issue, maybe in our country. Well, it's definitely in our country today, but. It's just so complex, you know. I see a lot of the whataboutisms, which I mm-hmm. hate. Like uh, Abbott even used it today. He said, you know, what about Chicago? Or the actual yeah. quote was that, you know, they have strong gun laws in Chicago. But the thing is, in Chicago, as people were explaining, um, in Chicago, they get their guns from neighboring states because it's pretty close to the borders uh, that have la- more lax gun laws. So, that's why we talk about national, you know, um, Massachusetts, uh, I'm up here in Boston. We have some of the, st- I think we are the strictest gun laws in the nation. Um, yeah. It doesn't stop shootings from happening, of course. I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had anything horrific, but there's still gun violence. You know, we still have uh, gang violence, which people die every week. And just the way media is set up, they're not going to talk about it, you know. Uh, but these problems are in every city. But I'm going off the rails here, or off a tangent here. But really, it's just like um, I, I say, I have a glimmer of hope. But then I'm also again reminded of how complicated the gun situation is. And you know, if we go, I think Beto since recanted his, you know, I'm going to take your AR-15. But <laughs> even hypothetically, if we did take your AR-15, um, maybe you stop massacres of like dozens of people at once. But um, crazy oh gosh mass shooters um see i was about to say like mass shooters will still find a way and even that is a problematic talking point so uh yeah the argument makes me feel very little and very lost the big point on sort of what the talking points have have been over the decades i know way back when columbine happened the conservative argument was oh it was video games and it was music and Marilyn Manson and it was never anything about mental health um and I I honestly couldn't tell you when that started I know some people were trying to make that argument about still try to make that argument about movies when um um when the Aurora shooting happened because Mm. there was the fake claim that the guy who shot up the movie theater came forward and said, Oh, I'm the Joker. That was never true. But at the same time, dare I say it, Joker culture was definitely kind of, and you know, I'm not talking about the Joaquin Phoenix movie that wasn't even out yet, but you know, the, the demented nature associated with a character like that permeated to the point where it was falsely claimed to be associated with a mass shooting that just so happened to take place during a midnight midnight premiere for a Batman film. Uh, I was in Hawaii when the shooting happened, came back home. Uh, my dad and my sister and I went to go watch the dark Knight rises. 
they they had to check my sister's purse you know and and this was miles and miles away the thing too is how can you advocate for mental health when you're the party that's done your damnedest to slash and pulp as much social services in this country as possible and every time healthcare is advocated by anybody you call them a socialist so as a republican party how do you pass uh any kind of legislation with regards to mental health that would prevent a mass shooting without getting called joseph stalin I, i'd love is, to know the yeah, remedy laughable when they pull that argument yeah it's uh and then, too, like, the thing is with the mental health argument, too, is that it's such a broad kind of term. Like, when you mm-hmm. talk about mental health, like, somebody who, you know, has o- OCD is mental health versus somebody that has, you know, God forbid, schizophrenia, bipolar. It's a wide spectrum. Like, you know, somebody who is OCD about, you know, cleaning their house or something, are you going to put that on the same par? Obviously, you know. Certain men, like, what do we do? Where, where do we go there? Do we, uh, where do we go there? You know, uh, people who want to bring up the talking point, do we say, like, oh, well, if you ever took um, prescriptions for any mental illness, you know, whether it be anxiety or something, you can't buy a gun. Like, it's a huge, and I don't even want to say slippery slope, but I feel like slippery slope implies that there, I feel like there's almost like a negative connotation there, but it's like something that's much deeper. So, um, and yeah, I, I just hate the blanket terminology of just uh, mental health. And then, of course, the blame game. I think, you mm-hmm. know, in talking about people in D.C., there was a great Onion article, actually. And uh, leave it to the Onion to make you laugh at this time. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, first of all, the Onion, I don't know if you saw this. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Onion, if you go to theonion.com right now, and uh, at the time of this uh, release, it might still be the same. Um, the Onion always puts out after a mass shooting on the same article. No way to prevent this, quote, says only nation where this regularly happens. And they've been doing this every time there's been a mass shooting. And today, the whole front page, every slot where there'd be a news story, a quote unquote news story, is the same exact article. So I think mm-hmm. The Onion is making a pretty strong statement there. You know, it's The Onion. And it, I, I hate to like laugh, but um, the uh they're really going in on it and it's like I, again when i say i have the tiny glimmer of hope you know i know the onion was always you know going to be on the right side of things quote unquote right side i'll say the right side of things but um yeah like the other other headlines you know uh report uvalde gunman had accomplices as far as washington dc or yeah and it's just like uh, we think this was a coordinated attack with 545 co-conspirators like really going in <laughs> or um you know for a, another one uh congress placed on lockdown after a deranged man enters senate with gun control measures so um you know leave it to the onion to give you a chuckle but it's like um yeah that's really the case now because uh you know god forbid um you try to impose any gun control it doesn't matter who's there um Mm-hmm. I, I saw a twi- um a tiktok actually speaking of tiktok i saw a tiktok with cory booker and uh, he, he, was, he was a dork about it. He was like talking to the camera after a run. And I'm just like, um, yeah, like, you know, like guys like Cory Booker and Beto, I know they're hard to in the right place. But um, at what point do we start saying that, you know, they're complicit, you know? Um, yeah. 
it's a it's the kind of thing again where it's just like you guys you know i i am no dc insider and i know it's like pulling teeth but at the same time um yeah what what was uh, what was getting rid of trump all about because uh, you mm-hmm. know for for the layman it looks like for the average man for for somebody who you know if, if all you did was watch the nightly news for the last couple of years you would have no, not noticed the difference yep and in a lot of horrifying ways and and obviously i don't think it needs to necessarily be repeated here just because i'm sure i'm sure listeners have seen it i'm sure you've seen it i know I know for damn sure I've seen it, um, you know, all the comparisons with or not so much comparisons, but the, the parallels that people bring to the table when it comes to this, as well as all the Roe v. Wade news where, oh, you know, it's it's the pro-life party, but, you know, they don't care enough about kids to say protect them from guns uh, or hypocrisies that are valid. You know, I'll give them that. But. There was one point in particular that I know you and I had talked about during one of our previous bonus episodes when we did talk about the whole Roe v. Wade news, um, which was that you had the uh, House representative in Texas who was, I think, one, I think he's one of the few, he's one of, I think, at least two or three, um, or excuse me, two House representatives on the, on the Democrat side that is not pro-choice gentleman's name is henry uh quellar i think i'm pronouncing that right apparently uh democratic leadership was really hammering hard on making sure this guy kept his seat in texas despite the fact that i guess there was an actual you know quote-unquote progressive candidate that had a, a good chance of beating him had democratic party leadership not stepped in the way it should be noted this guy is very friendly with the NRA. No, and insane, and it's just like, um, yeah, like I uh, in the weeks I forget how many weeks ago. Like for instance, I just uh, in doing some Google and I see you know AOC of course uh, who's never going to back down from talking about this, kind of talk about it, mm-hmm. and um, you know it, it goes back to the thing of like again like both of you guys are both of you sides are screwing everything up. I mean. Uh, it was only a few weeks ago that I was um, reading headlines of, you know, Pelosi uh, allegedly, uh, you know, like infighting, basically, you know, like uh, she apparently said, like, oh, AOC is trying to be the queen bee and like, you know, it's mm-hmm. basically like petty stuff. And it's just like, um, yeah, the, the, the divisions in the Democratic Party are, are there as well. And I don't want to be one of these people that's just like, well, the media doesn't cover it. Like, that's not really the issue. It's just like. The issue is that everything in D.C. is pretty screwed up. And, um, you know, uh, that this Henry Quaylar, we're going to get killed by someone who knows his name. But uh, it's a it's a pretty damning example of like how broken the Democratic Party is. So, like, for instance, I think it took. Okay, like, I, I think. After the uh, election of Obama, and we well, obviously we all settled in and let Trump happen. But there's yep. people like my mom, you know, for instance, who, um, you know, is like, yeah, Democrats, and it's just like, um, you know, she, she's a she's a good Democrat when she goes to the polls. You know, when she sees mm-hmm. uh, the letter D on the on on the ballot, she's gonna circle it. You know, or to check mark it and. 
Um, unfortunately, uh, Democrats, um, you know, Dem Democrats have problems too, and you know, we definitely need to be crit as critical of them as we are of the um, Republicans that we always point our fingers at. A reporter tweeted out that Chuck Schumer uh, signals no gun bill imminent. Americans can make a choice, Schumer says. Americans can cast their vote in November based on how people stand on guns. Schumer says Republicans can work with Democrats how to craft a bill. He's skeptical, unlikely, burnt in the past. And my reaction to that was, I really wonder how the vote blue, no matter who crowd, is going to defend that. Because, again, we we turning into a broken record about it, but I can't help it. Being yelled at, and ironically, I think Sebastian brought this up uh, back when we were talking about the 2020 election, where it's one thing to tell people to go vote. Like, I, I'm a crusty old fart when it comes to telling people you should go vote. Like, you know, we, we've talked about it already with the judges in the LA County races, for goodness sake, vote wisely on those races. I, I, I really wonder how much people this year are going to tolerate the being screamed down to to vote blue no matter who, like it was in 2020. Because I think, to some degree, people really were more bought onto the idea that there was going to be sort of a back-to-business, back-to-normal kind of mentality following the 2020 election. And so far, it's been what's been the weakest government of your lifetime, I would say it's everything we see right now. People keep voting and donating, but their lives aren't improving in any way, shape, or form. We're kind of leaning into the exact the exact argument that folks on the right, from the mayor of Uvalde to Tucker Carlson and his, uh, his cheerleader, hallowed be thy name, Glenn Greenwald, mm -hmm. um, basically slamming any attempts to talk more seriously about this subject and basically accuse it of, polit of politicizing. And it's like, well, that's just it. You have to have a political discussion. When you have a, an outbreak of anything, as we've learned, uh, you need legislation to maybe curb and protect people from that said outbreak, like masks and vaccines. And I don't know, making sure kids don't have to go to school afraid that someone's going to kill them before recess. I mean, how many more people is it going to take? You know, when is it enough? We, we pretty much got the answer to that back in 2020 when the beginning of the pandemic started. Obviously, you could say we got the answer following Sandy Hook that even the worst mass school shooting in American history wasn't enough. Mm. Eight years later, you get a pandemic. And what's the government response with regards to the deaths? Well, it could have been worse. Thousands of people dead. You know, a 9-11 number of people dying every day. Well, it could have been worse had, you know, and then, and then a lie about, oh, we, we closed up borders and we did this and did that, quote unquote, early when it was all late. But it goes back to the title of Mary Trump's book. It's too much, but it's never enough. And that's just the way it is. And I think that's, you know, 
that's kind of where we're at now, where it's never going to be enough for people in power. But for the rest of us, we're just going to be angry as all can be. And nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to absolve this crisis that I'm I'm sick to death of seeing in the news. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, well said, because, you know, a lot of that is like, I think you're, you know, feeling the way a lot of people feel. And, you know, especially I feel like there is definitely that silent, oh God, silent, silent majority of um, people who feel the same way though. And like, I never want to shame anyone for not speaking on the issue or something, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, COVID response, look what happened, you know, even under, you know, Biden, we always joke amongst ourselves, like, like, oh, like now tests are free or, you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, this country definitely doesn't care. And I saw a tweet or two that made me think like, geez, like, you know, when we say like, you know, what's it going to take or, uh, you know, everyone has their own real version of, you know, when's, when's the breaking point. But I saw something, a really grim tweet. And it's just like kind of to the thing I was saying earlier that I saw that they were saying families have to, um, Submit DNA swabs because uh, the children are unrecognizable from getting slaughtered by an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. And I saw some responses to the tweet, and it's and some of them were saying like, "Yeah, like if um, you know, of course, anecdotal on the internet." But somebody was saying like, "Yeah, like uh, I knew a surgeon who said that you know if they um if they if the public ever saw the crime photos of Sandy Hook, you know, let alone this one, um, maybe they would change their mind." And that is something like unimaginable you don't even want to put that picture in your head but gosh like what is yeah what is it going to take like obviously like you know does it going to take like a a 9-11 scale shooting like at a a sporting event or something for us to do it's like oh well that's a lot of people you know or like that's too much or you know or that's too visible you know um some of you saying we sanitize a lot of these shootings and i think and i'm not even mad at journalism for sanitizing it because it's incredibly a uh, difficult topic. You get sad writing about it, thinking about it, you know, the journalists who have to talk to these families, you don't want to like write like grisly details and, you know, anything like that. So I understand why they sanitize it, but, and I don't want them to not unsanitize it to be a solution, but I just think mm-hmm. of like, what's going to change people's minds. And um, yeah, we, uh, we all know the names of the shooters and what they look like more than the victims. That's the case every single time. Um, like, obviously, there's plenty of documentaries out there about Columbine and the cults behind the shooters. And I don't even want to say their names, but, um, you know, the, the cults following that those guys have. And, um, yeah, we, we break down why these shooters did what they did. But, you know, what's it going to take? And also, um, yeah. We uh, we have to do our journalistic duty and talk about who the shooters were. But um, what do you, when you read about these shooters, you always read that like they were fascinated with this. So again, opens up the discussion of mental health and things like that. But yeah, man, it's um, uh, that's a lot of words for saying that I'm a loss for words. But I just don't know. It's strange too, just because I think. And in a lot of ways, COVID was a le- was a learning lesson for a lot of younger people that, you know, you, you grow up and 
And I, you know, th- th- to some degree, I've, I've kind of taken this logic with me since San- after what I saw develop following Sandy Hook. Um, because I saw that in my life, I saw that as the first time where it looked like we were on the on the precipice of something truly admirable in terms of change. And admittedly, at the time, I was a lot more idealistic about actions that have led to more positive change in this country and thinking we were living in a, in a world where things like passing, you know, the civil rights bill or the new deal or, you know, any like something along those lines, hell, LBJ's war on poverty, like something on the level of that at the time. I really did think at that time that something truly inspirational was about to happen. And then nothing did. It wasn't going to be enough that, you know, the bodies of these kids shredded by a military grade weapon, that nothing was going to change. Nothing was going to happen. It, it really shook me to my core that, wow, this is one of those instances where we're really missing out on something truly transformative. And then fast mm-hmm. forward to the pandemic and nothing was transformative. In fact, what was transformative was how we responded to the virus. You know, oh, we're, we're terrified and we don't want to get sick or now nah, I'm just going to go back and have brunch because I'm healthy and happy and smoking my lungs out, you know, and I, I can't look at this country from the standpoint of we're a functioning anything. I mean, you know, I, I if somebody were to ask me what kind of government is your country, I would say, well, it's certainly an oligarchy. I wouldn't say it's a functioning republic in any way. It's definitely not a democracy, especially when the majority of its citizens support things like Medicare for all, gun control, a woman's right to choose. And yet we have a government that's basically dabbing on all those people. <laughs> like, that's the thing I can't get over is like, oh, go vote, go vote. Well, it doesn't help when we vote in people that actually don't have our interests at heart. So what what is it worth having a majority of people support something when that same majority can't even get enough people in to actually make those kinds of changes? And granted, a lot of the other transformative stuff that's happened in the last century, I'm not saying majority of Americans were in full support of those things. But in the long run, they were necessary. So, you know, I, I just I can't help but look at everything and just think we're we're in such a failed state that the idea that we would pass anything common sense or anything that would actually save human lives. I mean, for goodness sake, just look at the pandemic. Look at the negligence. Of course, we're not going to protect our children. We couldn't even protect our children during the pandemic. We couldn't protect anybody. Yeah, uh, I, I, I come back to that thing I was saying about having a glimmer of hope. And I really think that only just stems from the hope that I have for Gen Z, you know, uh, except when I think that Gen Z is going to make a change. I think it's because they're smarter than us and they know more about the world at a younger age. And, you know, they have so much more humility in so many different ways uh but i also don't want them to be the uh to come in and bring change in 10 20 years or however long when they're in power you know one obviously i want millennials uh to do that but two 
um, we shouldn't they shouldn't have to come in and make we shouldn't have to wait for them to come in and make change because the, uh, every all of them have like school shooting stories, you know, or like yeah. or because oh yeah, all my favorite politicians had school shooting drills growing up, you know, and that's why they wrote the school shooting bill of you know 2040, <laughs> you know, so it's just like because uh, that's how long it might take, but um, yeah. I used to think that, yeah, like Gen Z is going to do it because they're smarter than us. But uh, at this rate, Gen Z is going to do it because they're all going to know someone who's gone through this or, yeah, they do school shooter drills and they don't want the next generations beyond them to do that. And this goes back to the whole, oh, don't politicize it. Uh." When Borderline happened, we had a vigil out here that I covered for the signal and there really was... Okay, not a tussle, but certainly some backlash when uh, representatives from organizations like, uh, I think from like Brady and Moms Demand Action and basically a lot of the gun control organizations that typically parents are a part of, parents who have lost their children to mass shootings, were present at this vigil and a lot of the people that had organized the vigil were people that knew folks that were killed at borderline, but they were trying to make it so that we don't want to politicize this. We don't want to talk about gun control. We don't want to talk about, you know, Oh, why can't the president do this? Or why can't the government do that? We just want to remember the dead and just remember how wonderful they were. And you know, between that and the whole thing with Beto, I, I just it's so tone deaf how we sanctify the Second Amendment at the cost of the first. People are people are sick of this. And like I said, people are angry now in a way that I've never seen before. The idea that, oh, well, we can't politicize it. We can't politicize it. Well, again, you need political action to stop this from happening. States aren't doing anything about it. In fact, they're intensifying the situation. I mean, and it also doesn't help, too. It's really amazing timing. Biden signed an executive order uh, with regards to policing on the second anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And while I I do have praise for that, the timing and, and a lot of the photos I'm seeing of that executive order being signed, you know, what... Are we, are we living in different Americas or what's going on? That was you mind know? blowing. I thought like it was like an old tweet that popped up yeah. or something was going on on Twitter. And I'm just like, is that really happening right now? And I thought, you know, I think there was an image of George Floyd's daughter, I want to say, or somebody, you mm-hmm. know, signing it. And, you know, I, it, it is very awkward that I forget if it was the White House or Biden's Twitter. Somebody tweeted that like, yeah, like it, on the same day of the shooting, of, of course, of, you know, of course, and, you know, in, in America, this is how it goes down. Of course, George Floyd thing happens today. There's also the same day that um, a trial for the Parkland. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't even remember which where the Parkland High School shooting was. I get it. Oh, um, Stoneman Douglas or that's Marjorie Stoneman night. Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So in that case, yeah, that trial for that shooter is going on underway. So mm-hmm. I saw a Twitter was a reporter quote um talked to one of the parents of the, sh- uh, the shooters there so it's just like yeah um <laughs> this isn't just related to mass shootings either you know reminder because uh yeah and and also you know there's a it, it, if you want to talk about the gun issue too like uh, what about 
you know, all the gun owners, all the people who have guns in their homes who, you know, open the door for more suicides, suicides by guns in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, suicide is an enormous problem. How many sad stories do we have to read of like, you know, a toddler getting into a gun or, you know, a domestic argument that didn't have to be fatal. Like, it's not just mass shootings and it's not just Chicago. It's like, it's <laughs> not. And um yeah, it's uh, it, it's so much more than that. But um, I mean, well, it's also too. I'm curious because, like, I feel, um, I do have to say, like, personally, I I I don't agree, and I don't want to get into like a back and forth in a debate. But personally, yeah, you know, I do kind of respect some aspects of the whole Second Amendment. Um, you know, I do acknowledge the argument that you know when they wrote it, all they had was muskets. You know, they didn't have AKs <laughs> back then, so who knows what they would have thought. Um, you know, I don't mean to be like a, a Scalia in interpreting the Second <laughs> Amendment, but, you know, he would have been like, well, does bear arms. But, um, you know, I have cousins who are um, gun collectors and it is weird to say, like, well, why do you collect them? Why does anybody collect anything? You know, my cousins are level headed and uh, they have gun collections that like, I have a cousin with dozens of guns and nicest guy ever, you know, Um I think there's been a few times where he's told us about, you know, having it for self-defense, but um, I'm sure, you know, I don't want to dive too much into your, 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 you know, family, but I'm sure, mm. you know, people who own guns or, you know, have guns around the house. I, you know, I think I've talked about it before. My mom's father was a gun owner, but to my knowledge, he never owned anything that was military grade. He was a true hunter in the full sense of the word. Yeah. Like, a genuine Elmer Fudd. Um, but yeah. And, and with my other grandfather, I mean, he was a cop, but the only, to my knowledge, the only weapon he had was, um, was whatever standard issue firearm that he got from the LAPD. So, but growing up, I mean, you know, I, I think I said it during our LA riots episode, like my mom wasn't going to allow any guns in the house as long as there were children in it. And I, I admire her tremendously for that just because, you know, it's I think part of that admiration sort of stems off into why, like, you know, we didn't we didn't always have like Nerf guns or super soakers or, you know, I mean, we had squirt guns, but um, like, I think my mom really had this idea that she grew up with all these things and it's not like her or my late aunt or my uncle, it's not like any of them were fascinated with guns whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither was my grand, neither was my grandmother. Like that's just it. She still owns all these guns, but, and they all need to be gone through and cleaned and probably inspected. Um, but it's sort of like, you know, yeah, with our family, it, it, we've just, guns have just never been an issue. And, and we're certainly very pro gun control. I mean, my, my family, the devastation on my parents' faces yesterday when I told them what happened, like, you know, both of them had the knee jerk of, well, you know, Texas, everyone has a gun. Where was the good guy with the gun? But at the same time, it's the realization that that's a phony, crappy argument. And of course, there was never going to be a good guy with the gun or, or a, you know, some some Texas Rangers from Lonesome Dove coming in to save the day. Like they're, they're my folks Mm -hmm. know well enough and they've, they've lived through this just as much as I have. The only difference is that they're looking at it from the point of view of parents. 
Um, and I, you know, I was talking to uh, Nicole earlier today, and I mentioned after Sandy Hook, you know, because that's just it. 2012 was like, it was like, looking back on it, it was like the year of the mass shooting, you know, and. There, I want to say there were like three or four mass shootings that year that really stood out, including Aurora. And it wasn't that long into my last semester in high school that we had a, a threat to the campus. And uh, only a third of, of the school actually showed up. And we had no idea what the circumstances were behind the threat. We had no idea where it came from. Um, I think I had found out about it through, I think we must have gotten a call on our answering machine because I wasn't on social media at the time. What a time to be alive, not being on social media. <laughs> um, oh, but, yeah, uh, that changed in a year. But, um, you know, our, our school student body president said, you know, there's been a, a suggestion of something going on at the school, blah, blah, blah. You know, the school doesn't find it to be a credible threat. Be that as it, as it was, like I said, students didn't show up. I was scared. My parents still had me go because they just didn't find any stock in it being an actual threat, which ironically, you know, in a town as gun-loving as Santa Clarita, I mean, hell, if it were me, I wouldn't have had my kid go to school. And I'll bet you, after all that's transpired in the last 10 years, I'll bet you my parents wouldn't have had me go to school. Because they, at this point, they know better. And at this point, they've seen just as little progress as the rest of us have. We, we were all devastated when, um, I think it was the Pulse nightclub, nightclub shooting happened. We were traveling mm -hmm. in New York City. We were, I think, on a train leaving Quincy back to Boston. And we were talking about it. And I brought up the point of um, something that I believe a fraternity brother shared on social media where... It was some cartoon that basically said, well, you know, if a kid shows up to school with a stick and the kid's just beating all the other kids with that stick, what should the school do? Well, the answer that the anti-gun control people are suggesting, suggesting is all the kids deserve a stick. But that's not what happens in the real world. And nobody else gets hurt. Why that logic hasn't permeated to the highest levels of our society is beyond me. Um, and I should note, too, and I, we'll probably wrap up this discussion in a couple minutes, but I should note as well, um, within the past hour, a student has been arrested at Berkner High School in Richardson, Texas. There was an AK-47 and replica AR-15 rifle inside his vehicle. Yep, that is the most unsurprising, <laughs> disappointing like development. Um, I would really love to hear that kid's story. Uh, gosh, I mean, <laughs> you know, we always talk about copycats, and um, yeah, that's disheartening. But you know, in, in America, that is not surprising. I would like. I am literally at the point where I'm expecting to see news of a mass shooting like every day. Well, you know, it's just like. I just uh, fear for it every day. So I guess I'm glad they caught him. And uh, I know there's more instances of good guys with guns, you know, like maybe catching these kids before they go into a school and things like that. But um, 
yeah the whole argument of like you know like just uh fight fire with fire you know give the good guys guns i see a, a constant thing on social media is that well the good guys with guns did were there and um i guess the stories are still developing but the first two good guys with guns who got there um said they were under manned or something like that and mm-hmm. i guess you know when there's a guy with an ak i don't know how police procedures work but you know, maybe it helps more than hurts for like a guy with a pistol to go in there with a guy with an AK. If uh, if movies teach you anything, you know, or if any, it, it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that argument is ridiculous. Like, let's arm teachers. I hate that stuff. Um, yeah, the stick analogy is right on the nose because it's um, another dumb argument. It's really just, uh, yeah. And when I and earlier too, when I asked, you know, family members and guns, like, there's so many responsible mm. gun owners out there you don't want to punish you know people who use it for recreation hey clay i know they don't use real ammunition for clay shooting but gun guns you know are our sport guns are people use them for hunting they do have i guess practical applications you know how do you you know how do you be a farmer without like a, a gun and things like that i guess it's a mm-hmm. it's weird to accept their role in society but um you know it unfortunately that is a deterrent in some cases and unfortunately you know it's it's a tool for a lot of people but um yeah i just think there's too many americans out there who are like salivating at the thought of killing a home intruder who want their guns you know like yeah. there's so many so many people out here that want to be heroes and it's like you guys are ruining it for the majority of gun owners who uh, do it responsibly uh, frankly i forgot the context surrounding it but i know in the past when sebastian and i have briefly talked about gun control and I, I bless him for remembering this because this is one of those funny instances in American history that I'm actually surprised hasn't resurfaced in the last 24 hours, especially given who's president following one of the, one of the mass shootings that occurred in the Obama during the Obama administration. And you probably remember this too, perhaps um, when Biden was giving some, talk or conference or something and he was talking about gun control and he was like listen jack you don't need a ar-15 to you know turn a, a home invader into hamburger all you need is a shotgun and i don't know it it, it you do kind of you do wish that the, there were more people actually saying something like that to try and ease in the more gun-friendly folks into being like yeah you're right, an AR-15 isn't isn't so important or isn't so necessary. But again, we go back to stuff that I remember talking about with you back in our Sundial days when I had written about the, the Bundy family mm, mm-hmm. and how much they thought the Obama administration was going to, you know, pull a pull a Emperor Palpatine on them and, you know. Oh, I thought you were going to say Waco, but yeah. Well, that, oh, that too, yeah. I mean, it, it's it really is like... And and to a degree, Waco, Ruby Ridge. I mean, obviously that fed a little that fed into um, the Oklahoma City bombing. But let's face it, all of that does feed into the paranoia behind a government takeover. And there's so many things that you get yelled at saying this is why it makes sense. But then when you actually see this stuff happen in real time nothing meshes and nothing makes sense. And then you're left thinking, well, gee, maybe that whole good guy with a gun argument is moot. I'll put it simply that I think 
we really have a bad habit as a country for letting things repeat themselves. And, you know, it's funny. I had a history teacher who once told me that she didn't believe in the whole Santayana line of, uh, you know, those who don't learn their history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Well, we, 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 we lived up to the Einstein definition of, uh, of insanity by letting the same thing happen and expecting a different result. And that pretty much says everything I need to know that maybe Santiana, Santiana had a point and we're the world we live in is living proof of that. Um, yeah. I mean, can the last word be no word really? I mean, I know if you've gotten made it this far into the, into the podcast, um, you know, I think you heard how helpless we feel, but, uh, we're still pa- like impassioned and inflamed about the issue. Um, I guess all all I can say is just keep that keep that energy up. That sounds like such a lame cheerleady type, uh, you know, corporate speak kind of thing. But what else is there to do? I think today Beto was the first step, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I devour sports daily, and I've never seen. Uh, the NBA playoffs or ESPN pay attention. There is uh, so much, there's, there's momentum right now and we just need to stick with it because if we weren't mad as a country about Buffalo, obviously our country is not faced by racism. Is it faced by kids dying? If this is, this is where the buck stops, you can get more angry than this, you know, other than like, I, I don't want a, a 9-11 scale shooting to happen or an even worse tragedy. So just see this momentum right now and just keep it up, keep it going and uh, hold people accountable. And uh, yeah, um, stay safe. I mean, if you see warning signs, say something, speak up. It's, uh, you know, we can't live our lives scared, but uh, I, I know it's a scary time. So yeah, just keep this energy up.